All right, I'm going to push game night one more time. It is this upcoming Saturday. Please, please, please invite people. I promise that it will be a good time. We are going to have some awesome food. Uh, David Thomas and Chase Wilhorn are going to smoke some meats, and we're going to have some different barbecue-type sliders available, along with some other goodies uh, for purchase so that we can help, like we said, raise money for youth camp. But uh, invite people, guys. Invite people. Let them know that dinner is going to be available. Um, let's get them in here if we can. It's a great opportunity to invite people to our church, and I promise that it will be a fun time. So this upcoming Saturday, we're a week away, March 26th. I will be your host for the Family Hollywood Game Night, and uh, we want you to invite people to that. So please, please, please do so, and then keep Easter on your mind. We are tr uh, trying out some seating arrangements to see if we can get more chairs in this place. I would love... I would be blown away, but I know God could do it if for some reason, somehow, we are standing room only that morning. Uh, just remember what Jake said. We're going to be, it's easier when you're not a visitor to sit closer to the guy that looks angry and is preaching at you the whole time. So please fill in the seats in front before you fill in the back, especially on that day. Now, I've said my spiel about those two things. We are continuing our series in 1 John today. I'm extremely uh I will say when I was composing the sermon, I got excited about it. I hope that uh, you enjoy it and it's good and, and God does his thing through me and I'm sure that he will. But I have titled today, Man in the Mirror 2. So last week, we looked at the Christological test. How can we compare ourselves to Christ? There's more to come even next week. Next week is another Christological test. But this week, we look at an ethical test of love. Love. How do we as Christians love, specifically this week, our fellow Christian? Our fellow Christian. And so uh, we get to test ourselves against the love of Christ, against the love of God, to see where we're matching up, to see areas where we need to improve. And it's one of those things that we can look at to have confidence in our faith, which is what this entire series is about, right? And we're looking at certainty of faith. And so we're going to be in 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll kind of break it up as we go. Uh, but we're starting in verse 10, which we covered last week, so it shouldn't seem that strange to you. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and Sister, this is talking about obviously not biological brother and sister, although you should love them as well. This is talking about brother and sister in Christ. And we covered this last week. Christians love their brothers and sisters in Christ. John goes on to say in verse 11 and 12, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. In our sin, we cannot be jealous of others' righteousness. It's very important for believers of Christ that in our sin, we do not find ourselves becoming jealous of others righteousness Cain murdered his brother for no other reason than that he was jealous that God accepted his offering if you remember that story Cain and Abel Cain offers an offering not his best of his best stuff Abel offers an offering it's the very best that he has to offer God looks at that offering and he is pleased by it and he accepts it but he rejects Cain Cain out of his jealousy because he is not righteous seeing his brother's righteous becomes so enraged that he murders his brother and the root of that is jealousy. It's a reminder for us as believers to avoid playing the comparison game. 
to avoid playing the comparison game. So often we look at other believers and we like to pick apart the things that they're doing wrong and compare them to how we're doing things right. Uh, it goes back to that verse, don't focus on the speck in your brother's eye while you have a plank in your own, right? You shouldn't be so focused on others that you lose track of where your relationship with Christ is. And that's what Cain did. He was so focused on how things were going for his brother that he lost track of the fact that his relationship was not where it should have been. It was never, ever about Abel. It was always about what Cain had done. Nothing good comes from, from playing the comparison game. Nothing good comes from it. Either we become prideful, which is sin, or we end up developing jealous feelings because we see the areas we don't match up with our brother and sister in Christ, and that is also sin. And so we have to avoid both of those things. We, we need to focus on our own walk, okay? Now, is that to say that we can't ever correct our brother and sister? No, we are called to do that. We are called to do that. But it's not about the comparison. It's not about where they fail and you succeed. It's about how we all are failing and how we can all succeed. And that is a very different mindset. It's a very different mindset. What happens when we start to be jealous of others is that we, we, we begin to hate our brother and sister in Christ. And that hatred fueled by jealousy. And just to be clear, just to be clear, hatred, this jealousy, or this pride that we develop from playing this comparison game, both are satanic in their roots. Both are attitudes that come from the evil one. And John's trying to make that clear to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so then he goes on to say in John 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You see, being hated should not surprise us. As a Christian, being hated should not surprise us. However, being hated by a believer should. Being hated by a believer should. So whether there's hatred directed towards you or you're directing hatred towards another believer, it is very, very wrong. That should not be the case. People who have Christ at their core, at their center, always find their way to forgiveness. Not to say you can't be angry. Not to say you can't be upset. Not to say that your anger cannot be righteous. You can righteously be angry at somebody for a wrong that they have committed. But eventually, a Christ-filled heart leads you down the path of forgiveness. The harshest critic of a believer is a fellow believer. If you don't believe me, spend some time on social media. Get on Facebook one day and just go to a church's page. Or go to a pastor's page, one of these more known, I don't get a lot of hate directed at me, but a lot of people don't know who I am, right? But you start talking about your Matt Chandlers and your Francis Chans and different things and different ideologies. You, you talk about Lindell and Springfield with uh, James River, and you will see hatred, vitriol. And the majority of the time, it's coming from a fellow believer. I saw, uh, I have a friend who is a Christian. And uh, he lives a different lifestyle than the majority of Christians. Um, but at his core, he holds to a traditional Christian ethic. And he posted on something on Facebook this week that I think was meant to create conversation. 
What ended up happening was that you would see Christian after Christian bicker back and forth with one another. And then you would see somebody post a meme. The one that I remember said, just an agnostic sitting over here like, and it's one of those memes where the person's eating popcorn. What did we just do for the kingdom? What did we just do for the kingdom? And then there'd be more back and forth. Well, this is why you're wrong. And 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 then there'd be somebody there that says, just an atheist here to see how stupid you all look. What are we doing for the kingdom? We are doing nothing but dividing it. We should find a way in our hearts. We will not always agree. We will not always agree. But not agreeing with somebody is a lot different than hating that person and and spewing hatred towards them. And we have to make sure that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are avoiding that. And we fight over the silliest things. You don't dress right. My grandpa was a pastor uh, for a long time. And I remember that we used to have, uh, in one of his churches, we had some really powerful, I mean powerful singers. Like country music star type level abilities. And one woman sang one morning. It was the most beautiful song I'd ever heard. Somebody didn't like her outfit. And they spewed hatred towards her for it. In a group of a middle of her fellow churchgoers, they talked to her about how inappropriate it was for her to be wearing what she was wearing. She stopped singing. She stopped coming to church. Why? You don't dress right. You're not in the right denomination. Your church is too fancy. Your church is not fancy enough. Your pastor's wearing shorts, right? All kinds of things that have no eternal consequences. But by us bickering and fighting back and forth about these things that don't have eternal consequences, we are causing a reaction that does have eternal consequences. If brothers and sisters in Christ cannot love one another, how can we expect the world to ever look at our lives and our choices as desirable? Rhetorical question, we can't. So John goes on in verse 14 through 16, and he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. There's the proof. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Great song choice for the opener, by the way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. A strong sign that we have experienced salvation in our lives is found in the way that we love. It's found in our capacity to love. And one of the greatest signs, scratch that, the greatest sign in the history of the world of love is that you can forgive like Jesus. It's the greatest sign. It's the greatest sign that you love like Jesus, that you can forgive like Jesus. You see, hatred, hatred, feelings of jealousy, they stem 
from an inability to let things go. From us holding on to those things. And we think that we're punishing the other person. But what we're really doing is eroding our foundation from the inside. We are taking those bonds that hold us to Christ. And we are doing away with them. Jesus' death on a cross is the greatest expression for forgiveness in the history of the world. And we know that because those that he died for did not deserve it. That's you. That's me. Pretty much everybody in the history of this thing that we call earth. Jesus died for us all. In order that we might find forgiveness through his blood that he shed on the cross. And not being able to love and not being able to forgive is a sign that that eternal life that was won for us on the cross does not exist within us. So we have to work and pray and turn things over to God so that we can find that ability in our hearts to let go of the things that are eroding our insides so that we can love others and so that we can show them who Jesus truly is. Because at the end of the day, to hate is to murder, to murder is to sin, and to sin is to die. And there's no other explanation for it. But Christ, but Christ has brought forgiveness for all of us. He has made it available to all of us. And we are to follow his lead. If we are going through this ethical test of love, if we are looking at the man in the mirror and the reflection staring back at us, remember, is Jesus. How are we comparing to Jesus? Well, Jesus forgave it all. Jesus forgave it all. So how could we not? John takes it a step further in verse 17 through 19. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. John's making it clear that a believer cannot live in excess while their fellow Christian struggles to survive. The early church was a voluntarily socialistic society. Okay? Voluntary, I believe, is the key there. But it was a voluntarily socialistic society. They pooled resources. They made sure that everybody had what they needed. We are called to that same type of lifestyle. Even though we are far from it, even though we live in a capitalistic nation, when we see our brothers and sisters in need and we have extra, if our heart does not call to us to lend out a hand and to help, there is something that is not Christ-like inside of us. If we are hoarding our riches, if we are storing our treasures, while others don't have the basic things that they need for survival, a roof over their heads, food in their bellies, clothes on their back, then the love of Christ is not in us. Not my words, what John has to say. What John has to say. 
How can you be a believer and not sacrifice for your fellow believer when God sacrificed his own son? John makes it very clear. Love is not just a word. Love is not just a word. For God so loved the world. It could have stopped right there. God loves the world. But it goes on to tell you what he did about it. That he gave, he performed the action of giving his only son. That whoever would believe in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life, eternal life. God loved, and so he acted. God loved, and so he acted. We see it throughout Jesus' ministry. He loved, and so he healed people. He loved, and so he multiplied food to feed thousands. He loved, so he allowed himself to be beat, whipped, spit upon, nailed to a cross, so that he could show the world that he loved them. Love exists when our actions match our speech. And I know this isn't something that's new. It just happens to be a reoccurring theme in the Bible. I feel like for like the last four sermons, I've said something similar to that at some point. Sermon series, I should say. And probably sermons. Love, matched by actions, is proven true. It's proven true. And it's the only way that love is proven true. God's love for us was proved by Christ on a cross. How is your love for your fellow brother and sister proved? What are you doing? What actions are you taking? John goes on to say in verse 20 that if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What John is really saying here is that you can't hide. You can't say that you love. You can't pretend to love and God not know that. He is greater than our hearts, meaning he understands what's at our core. He understands what's inside of us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our actions. We cannot hide. And this interestingly seems to talk about John's failure right before Christ was sacrificed on the cross when he denied Jesus three times. And yet still, after Christ rose from the grave, remember, he asked John three times, do you love me? John replied, you know, I do. Do you love me? You know, I do. John, do you love me? You know, I do. You know, I do. Did Jesus ever say not true? No, you don't. I think I said John I meant Peter. That's important. Right? But three times Peter asked. Three times. Three times Jesus asked. Three times Peter affirmed. Jesus at no point ever said, not true. Not true. He knew his heart. He also knew his failure. But the heart outweighs the failure. What is inside of us? And at the end of the day, understand that God can be greater than our weakness. And in our weakness, he can be our strength. 
His strength, his power, it's more powerful. It is truer than the natural sinful condition of our heart. Paul then goes on to say in 21 and 22, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. What John has argued so far is that Christians can calm their natural hearts by participating in real acts of love and by doing so find rest in God. What he's making very clear in these two verses is that once our hearts have been purified, we can confidently ask God for anything and receive it. But it has a caveat. It has a caveat. We will receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. So as long as what we are asking for is in line with his will for our lives, as long as our requests are subject to God's will, then we will receive what it is that we ask for. And he ends in 23 by saying, and this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Verse 23 puts it all together. It's the first mention of faith in first John, believing in the name of Jesus. The paragraph starts in verse 18. It reaches its pinnacle in 23. The Christian must actively engage in deeds of love. By doing so, they will be able to achieve boldness in prayer. By doing what God commands. In this, they live a life as an expression of their faith in God, which culminates, which ends in love for one another. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. As the band makes their way forward, Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That when we look at the man or the woman in the mirror, our reflection that looks back at us is more and more like Jesus every day. We want to be like you. We want to think like you. We want to love like you do. But our own natural condition is a sinful one. Our hearts are inclined to look out for number one, to put our needs first, to look at how we are wrong, to look at how we aren't screwing up, to look at how we can say we are like you. And oftentimes, God, that puts us in direct opposition to loving others. There's no room for jealousy in our life. There's no room for hatred. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. And if we are child's children of the living God, then we will reflect that love and we will reflect that forgiveness in the world around us. Lord, in our weakness, you are strong. In our weakness, you are strong. So strengthen us. Strengthen us. Highlight those areas in our life where we are not matching up. Help us to trim the fat. To get rid of that sin that plagues us. So that we may change 
into people, into Christians who look like little Christ. God, may we love one another. If there's anyone in this room today that has an issue with anyone else in this room or someone that's not in this room that is a fellow believer, that is a brother or sister in Christ, God, I pray that you convict them of it right now. That you convict them of it right in this moment, right here today, that they may desire and not find rest until they seek to forgive and seek forgiveness from the one that they have wronged. God, I ask you to do powerful things today because I believe and we believe that you can. Change our hearts, change our minds. Receive this offering of praise that we are about to deliver to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand with me now. Let's worship. Just worship. If you have a need to pray with somebody, I'm going to be right back there. Come pray with me. I would love to pray with you this morning. If you need to talk about what it means to be a believer of Christ, what it means to have a relationship with the Son of God and God himself, don't leave today without at least starting that conversation. It is very important. Otherwise, stand, worship, pray. Reflect on what it is that God has done for you and think about how God would have you reflect that to others in your life.